Now, how many of you remember what Pastor Thomas preached last weekend? Any of you remember? What book of the Bible? Just read out the, the book of the Bible. Okay, about three people. Okay, All right. <laughs> it tells us that we have very, very short memories now. Okay, it's from the longest book in the Bible, in the middle of the Bible also. What is it? Psalms, that's right. Okay, now the Psalms actually are, is probably one of the most popular books of the Bible. And we, it's popular because, you know, we love many of the Psalms. For example, the Lord is my shepherd. See, you can complete it. Huh? I shall not want her. And bless the Lord, O oh my soul. You know, there's so many wonderful expressions in the Psalms. That even people who are not Christians, they are familiar with some of it, right? But for those of us who have read through all the Psalms, now just as a survey, how many of you have read through all the Psalms at least one time? All the Psalms, every one of them, 150, okay? It's about only 30 people, huh? rest of you, uh, you don't know what you're missing, okay? <laughs> I hope after today, you will go back and start reading. But as you read through the Psalms, you realize it's not all cheerful. In fact, there are some very distressing parts of the Psalm. Psalm 13, verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? You know, when people are discouraged or down, even their grammar goes haywire, right? Do you, do you talk like that? How long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long is forever? <laughs> how long is enough, right? Forever is enough. But for emphasis, you know, how long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? <laughs> you know, so uh, it's a bit distressing. How long will you hide your face? For me, and it gets worse. Psalm 139, uh, we like the earlier part, you know, where you have formed me in my mother's womb, you know. Uh, you, you know, you see everything, I cannot hide from you. Wherever I go, you follow me, you know. But then it comes to this part in verse 21. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not love those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. Whoa. That's very heavy stuff. Huh? Have you ever prayed like that? And it gets even worse. Psalm 137 verse 9. Blessed shall be he who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Oh my God, please never pray this prayer. <laughs> we call them the imprecatory psalms. Huh? Where the psalmist is uh, calling a God to punish his enemies. Now, uh, if you have read through all the psalms, you may have noticed that the majority of them are not so cheerful. And in fact, they express a lot of uh, doubt, you know, fear, anxiety. More than half of the Psalms are what is classified as lament Psalms or complaints to God, where the Psalmist just pours out, you know, whatever he's feeling inside, he just lets it go, okay? <laughs> and don't worry, God can take it, <laughs> all right? Actually, almost every human emotion can be found in the Psalms. No matter how you feel, if you are looking for words to express how you feel, you will find some words in the Psalms that expresses what's going on deep inside you. And 
the ability to feel, to have emotion, is what it means to be made, part of what it means to be made in God's image. Huh? Because, you know, God is a God who, who thinks, we can think, who has a choice, we can choose. Okay, so there are different aspects of God's nature that we are made in His image of. So, and the fact is that God is a God who feels very strongly. When you read the Bible, you will know there are times where it says God was grieved. Huh? And God was and, and God is happy, and you know, there are different expressions of emotions as well. And actually, this is part of what it means to be human. The fact that we have feelings, and the feelings are real. You cannot deny them, you know. And uh, so this is what makes us unique. Machines have no feelings. I think animals do have. <laughs> but we are, of all of God's creation, most capable of experiencing the whole range of emotions and expressing them as well. And this is one of the main truths that I discovered during my sabbatical month as I spent as much time as possible reading, reflecting, and sitting outside. Uh, you know, it was pretty cold, so I was wrapped up, you know. Sometimes it looked like a little bachang, you know. Uh, but I love the outdoors, so I spent as much as possible uh, of the time outside, you know, reading and, you know, and just thinking through and reflecting. And uh, I come to realize that uh, this is that one part of my life that I've not paid much attention to because, you know, growing up as a young Christian, uh, I was taught, you know, feelings are not important. It's fact and faith. Faith based on fact of who God is, the truth of who God is, is more important. No matter how you feel, you know, just discard it, put it aside. And, uh, you know, your feelings change, you know, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but uh, you don't have to worry about it, you know, it will keep changing and it will go away. And just continue to have faith in the truth of God's Word and everything we find. And that's how I, I grew up as a Christian, really. And uh, much of my adult life, you know, that's how I've, I have functioned. You know, the feeling part of my life has never been big, you know. It's always there, right? But I've never really acknowledged it, and I've largely kept it to myself. Uh, even Pastor Lydia doesn't know a lot of how I feel. <laughs> okay? It's just how I was brought up, okay? And my family also, the family of origin, you know, never expressed feelings, you know. I've never ex heard my parents talk about how they feel about anything. Okay, so this was like, you know, one, one aspect of my life that was almost totally missing. And so in this month, as I read and reflected, I came to realize, wow, it's really so important. And it's something that uh, I would need to pay attention to. And the Psalms actually expresses a lot of those emotions. The people of God had the freedom to express them. And there are all kinds of psalms and uh, so many that, you know, you, you want to classify them. It's quite a challenge. But Walter Brookman, one of the Bible scholars, uh, categorized them in three ways. The majority of the psalms, vast majority, can be viewed in one of three ways. First is what he calls psalms of orientation. Everything is orientated 
okay? the way it should be, Psalm 8, 24, 20, uh, 33. And we are comfortable with these Psalms because they express gratitude for God's ordering of life. And this expresses, this, this Psalms expresses life as it should be. That's the way it's expected to be, full of blessing for the people of God. You know, and we like those, you know. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then there are psalms of disorientation where things are upset. Psalm 13, 35, 74, and many others, right? And it records the reaction of God's people when the world, as they knew it, had become broken. And we know this is reality. You know, not all of life is sweet. Are you with me? Right? So, during these times, the, the people of God, they lamented, you know, and it was okay. And the Holy Spirit made sure that these were recorded for us. These psalms of lament move and deepen the faith of the worshipper because it gives expression to what's going on inside. It kind of like it comes out, right? And you understand why? Because, you know, they went through very dark times as well. For example, there was a time when the city of God, Jerusalem, where the house of God, the temple was located, was destroyed by the Babylonians. Now, when such a catastrophe happens, you don't sing, bless the Lord, oh my soul, <laughs> you know. You don't say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, you, you have lots of raging emotions. And, you know, it's, it was at such times that they, they wrote those and sang those psalms, you know, happy is the one who takes and dashes your little ones against the rock. <laughs> because, you know, that's the only thing that really expresses what's going on inside, okay? But is that how God's people are supposed to pray? Well, the fact is that those words reflect the pain of a people engaging with their God in world-shattering circumstances. Their world had fallen apart and they were still engaging with God and they were being very honest. And that teaches us something about the life of faith. But thank God, there are not only psalms of disorientation, there's also a third category that's called Psalms of New Orientation or Reorientation, which is Psalm 29, 47, 93, and uh, many others, okay? These are actually deeper versions of the Psalms of Orientation. Because by this time in the psalmist's life, the disorientation is past. I mean, he had, he had sailed through the storm, and he's now praising God, Oh God, you have saved me. I didn't know how I, would, I was going to get through this, but I knew that only you could get me through this. And now I have come into a period of calm again. And so this, this movement from orientation to disorientation to new or reorientation is seen in the life of God's people in the Old Testament. And I suggest it's also important to recognize that in our own lives. Can you say amen? Okay, about 50 human beings here. 
the rest of you, you know, pastor, you feel, you feel, <laughs> okay? And God willing, we will look at some of these psalms in the coming weeks. But today, we want to look at Psalm 71. So I invite you to stand as we read the Word of God together. And by the way, if this was happening in the Old Testament times, uh, we would be singing this. Because most of the psalms were set to music. Right? It was the songbook of God's people. Can you imagine you're singing this, right? So since we don't know the tune, right, we are just going to read it. Is that okay? All right, let's read it out loud in unison together, right? Let's go. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, rescue me and deliver me. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of those who are evil and cruel. For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth, I've relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. I've become a sign to many. You are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. Do not cast me away when I'm old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. For my enemies speak against me. Those who wait to kill me conspire together. They say, God has forsaken him. Pursue him and seize him, for no one will rescue him. Do not be far from me, my God. Come quickly, God, to help me. May my accusers perish in shame. May those who want to harm me be covered with scorn and disgrace. As for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long, although I know not how to relate them all. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteous deeds, yours alone, since my youth, God. You have taught me, and to this day, I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Your righteousness, God, reaches to the heavens. You who have done great things, who is like you, God? Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again from the depths of the earth. You will again bring me up. You will increase my honor and comfort me once more. I will praise you with the harp, your faithfulness, my God. I will sing praise to you with the lyre, Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have delivered. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long. For those who wanted to harm me have been put to shame and confusion. 
Amen. May God bless the reading of His Word. Now, before you sit down, was this a psalm of orientation? Disorientation? Reorientation? Go back and think about it afterwards. But let's pray. Father, we ask for your Spirit to come and breathe life into us even as we receive your Word so that we will receive faith and encouragement as we walk close to you through the troubles of this life and come out more victorious. We give you thanks because we ask this in Jesus' name. All of us, you will say, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So, this psalm is a, written by a man who has seen a lot of life, you know. By the time he writes this, he has gone through a lot. And in fact, he is still going through a lot. His enemies are still conspiring to destroy him, but he manages to keep his joy. Notice how many times he talks about opening his mouth and still praising God and still trusting God in spite of the fact that he had become a sign or portent to many people. And he's not grumbling. He is praising God. He is focusing on God and he's responding positively. And so the question that I want to ask is, where did he find the inner resources to respond positively to the trials of his life, even to the time when he was an old man? What enabled the psalmist to stand firm in the trials of life? There are three aspects of his walk with God that stands out in this psalm. Firstly, he had developed a personal knowledge of God. It was very personal. He knew God. It was a close relationship. It was not just intellectual. It was heartfelt. It was experiential, experimental. And it says in verse 17, Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. I know most of us here are mature people, but there could be some younger people. And, you know, youth is the time to enjoy life because you're only young ones. <laughs> but youth is also the best time to develop a close relationship with God that will stay with you hopefully for all your life. And I remember I was a teenager when I first learned how to pray, how to seek God, how to fast, how to... Uh, and how to tithe and how to trust God, you know, for provision. And I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit when I was a, a teenager. And, you know, these, these lessons and these, these experiences have stayed with me throughout life. And so the psalmist says, now I, I know who this God is. I know He is my rock. He is my refuge. He is my hope and my confidence, and, and I cannot help but continue to talk about who He is. Yes, I know He has allowed me to go through many troubles in this life, but He has also delivered me, and He has comforted me, and so my mouth is filled with praise for Him. So this man expresses a very personal, intimate knowledge of God, proven through 
the trials and the challenges of life. He, he was not like the people who, you know, got into trouble and then prayed, Oh God, if you are up there, whoever you are, please help before it's too late, you know. Uh, I'm not sure who is hearing the prayer. You know, he prayed with such certainty because he knew who he was talking to because he had experienced him from the time of his youth and he has proven God in a practical, experiential, personal way. And the question that I want to ask is, do you know God like that? Do you know Jesus Christ like that? Have you been applying the Word of God to the challenges of life because this will prepare you for whatever life may throw at you in the coming days. So, what enabled him to stand firm? What was the inner resource? Number one, he had a deep, personal walk with God. And that was also because, number two, he developed a habit of praise, trust, and hope. Always trusting God, always hoping for the best, and always praising God no matter what happens in his life. So let's say that to God. I will always trust. Come on. I will always hope. I will always praise. Okay. Uh, make it a little more convincing. You say to the person beside you, I will always trust. Come on. I will always hope. I will always praise. Okay? Tell me when I don't. <laughs> okay? If it is your loved one or someone who's close to you, right? Now, these were habits that the psalmist developed from the time he was young. Now, we actually don't know who, who wrote this psalm. Uh, it could have been David. They, they, they speculate, maybe Jeremiah, but it doesn't really matter because, you know, the name is not given. So, because it's anonymous, then you and I can identify better, you know, because if it's anonymous, it could be me, right? So, it helps us. Now, habits are a way that we respond to life, you know, without thinking. You know, if that's how we have always responded, then this is the, like, you know, the default mode, you know. When you're not thinking, this is how you respond. And some people, their habit is not of, uh, you know, trusting and hoping for the best, but actually expecting the worst. You know, some people have a habit of worrying, being pessimistic, and not only that, have the habit of seeing life from the negative point of view. That means, you know, oh, this is wrong, this is bad, you know. And there are things in life that are beyond our control and uh, that are actually not good. You know? And it happens to all of us. Uh. You see, I'm an outdoor person. As much as possible, I like to be outside. And you know, I spend so much time you know, in, in the office, in the, in the work of God. And so I don't have much time at home. But when I do have time at home, like in the mornings, you know, I would like to get out and walk out to my small little garden with a small little patch of grass, you know, and I look forward to just, you know, looking at the grass and smelling the grass. But these days, instead of smelling grass, I smell something else. It's cat poo. Uh, if you love cats, uh, sorry, I'm, <laughs> I'm not talking about you, okay? <laughs> now, Dog poo is okay with me, you know. 
I can tolerate it. But cat poo is another category altogether. It's another class, okay? And so what's happening is that uh, we have neighbors uh, who love cats and they feed the cats every day, you know? But the problem is the cats don't, you know, do their business there. <laughs> they do their business elsewhere. <laughs> and usually they love a patch of grass, you know? I don't know why, you know? So because I have a nice patch of grass, uh, so almost every morning I have a new delivery. Okay, <laughs> so and you know, so it's a it's an extra chore. Uh, it's a price to pay for living in a you know very nice neighborhood. <laughs> so uh, and what do I do with this? You know, I have to collect it, and uh, I, I don't want to to pass the gift to my neighbor John. He has his fair share of it too. Right? <laughs> if I don't want to throw in the drain because, you know, it will, it will flow through my neighbor's, back neighbor's, you know, compound, even though he doesn't stay there anymore, you know. So I have to bring it into my own house and flush it down the toilet and pass it and say, don't bring it into the house, you know. It's so smelly after that, you know, she can't get rid of the smell from the nose, you know. But I have to because, you know, it's the, it's the responsible thing to do. So, you know, and... So whenever I see the cats, you know, I have a bad feeling. You know, it's like, these, peop- these animals, you know, and uh, so, you know, it's, it's always negative. But then, a few days ago, something happened. I, was, it, I think it was evening, you know, and uh, I, I heard some sounds in the, behind my kitchen, just, you know, on near the drain. I heard this sound. And I thought, oh, what's that? I heard that before. I knew what it was. They are moles. These are like rats. They are blind. So to move around, they make noises, right? Sharp noises. And it's like radar, you know? You know they bounces back, you know, like bats flying, right? So, and so Immediately, I turned uh, to look out of the window to see, you know, where it, it was going. But I didn't see the mole, but I saw a cat chasing the mole. And immediately, my thoughts changed. I said, Lord, thank you for the cats. <laughs> there is something positive after all. <laughs> they are doing a good job, <laughs> right, of... <laughs> Keeping the pest down when I can't do anything about it, right? So, in all of the negatives of life, if you will look hard enough, there could be some positives because the cup is not just half empty, it's also half full. Amen? And this is the, the habit that the psalmist had developed from young, and that is to look for the positive, to always trust and always hope for a good outcome or something good to come out of it. And, you know, this is something that affects all of life. Long-term studies that follow French, American, British men and women found that those with a happy outlook, they live longer. And research has also found a direct link between optimism and a stronger immune system. Better lung function, less pain and a better heart. It costs you nothing to choose to be you know, optimistic. 
But it costs you a lot to be pessimistic because pessimism is associated with anxiety, depression, high blood pressure, heart disease, behavior, choices that damage overall health. And the best part is this. Even people who do not know God, they, their research have shown that you can actually train yourself to be happy, to be positive. You can make the choice. And for the people of the world, they say, you know, meditate and, you know, and all kinds of other things. But for the people of God, the surefire way to do this is meditate on God's Word daily. Meditate on God's promises. Philippians 4, 8 says, whatever is true, whatever is of good report, whatever is honorable, focus on these things. In other words, think about the things that are positive rather than what is negative. Look for the positives in every situation. And then count your blessings daily. Count your blessings. This is one of the things that I, I got to do, you know, uh, during the sabbatical month, you know, I sat down and often my mind just went back, you know, to the, to the early days when, you know, life was just worry-free, you know. Just trust God for everything, you know. Everything just works, right? And the blessings of God are too many to count. And then when you count your blessings, don't just count them. Express gratitude daily. This is very important if you want to be healthy spiritually as well as physically, okay? Because you see how many times the psalmist in this psalm says, you know, that I will shout, I will, I will thank, I will, you know, he, he is not content to just feel it and think it. He wants to verbalize it. And this is important. He says, my mouth will tell. Thanksgiving is not thanksgiving until it is given. Are you with me? It has to come out of our mouth. Joshua 1.8 says, this book of the law shall not depart from what? From what? Your mouth. Yes, you shall meditate on it day and night, but out of the meditation should come forth something, a declaration of who God is. And research also found that practicing compassion actually boosts happiness, health, self-confidence, and resilience. That means, you know, yeah, your situation may be bad, but if you will just find somebody who is in the worst situation and go out of the way to help them and take your mind off yourself, you will feel better. <laughs> you will have more happiness if you will just think about other people and volunteer your time to help others. So, you can choose to be cheerful and positive. And these are good habits that the psalmist developed from the time he was young. Start young. These habits will take you far in life. And if you say, but I'm no longer young, it's not too late. <laughs> yes, it's never too late. And you have to be deliberate because the good things in life often comes by deliberate choice. You know, if I, if I don't do anything, I leave my garden alone, all that will grow will be weeds, you know. I have to pay the gardener every month just to pull the weeds away, right? But if I want something good, I have to plant it and I have to cultivate it. Uh, thank God, my, every time my mother-in-law comes, she plants something. 
Uh, she's, she's 89, by the way. So, you know, she came uh, last year and she planted the blue flower, you know, plant. Right? Uh, I collected the seeds, but, you know, I don't have time to do anything. So she planted a few plants. And out of that, you know, I have more than what I need, you know, every day. You know, I have to trim it. And the last trip she came, she planted some bitter gall. And, uh, you know, we have been having some bitter gall to eat. You know, it's wonderful, <laughs> All right? So it's because she planted some good seeds that we are still enjoying the harvest. So whatever harvest you want to enjoy, plant the seeds for that. And water it daily, cultivate it. This is a deliberate habit. Deliberately cultivate habits of trust and hope. He says in verse 14, As for me, I will always hope. Come on, say again. Always hope. Yeah. I will praise you more and more. Yeah. My situation is not easy and other people are complaining, grumbling, but I will choose to trust God, you have seen me through difficult times before, and I know you will, again, see me through. It's a habit of hope, expectation of good in the future. You see, people who do not know God, they also can have hope. They say, oh, we hope, we hope that the economy will improve, you know, we hope our stock price will rise, you know, but it's much of the time hope on hope. Hope on hope. But for the people of God, we have biblical hope, which is certain, because the object of our hope is certain. Can you say amen? Because He never changes. He is always dependable. That's why every time you take a step forward, you know that the earth will hold you up, and you know that you will stick to the ground and not float off somewhere, because the laws of God always works. Gravity will always work. Right? No matter how long your night is, you know that eventually the light will come, the sun will rise, because that is the way God has ordained it. Can you say amen? We can count on Him. Our hope is based on the certainty of who God is. Amen? Our habit of hope is built on the character and the promises of God. So I want to ask, what habits have you and I been developing all these years? Is it a, a habit of worry, of, you know, always, you know, thinking, oh, you know, is it going to be good or is it not going to be good? Review what God has done in your life. That's a good habit also. Look back and just think through what God has done in your life. The many times that He has delivered you, provided for you. Why? Because it strengthens faith. When you think back of what God has done, it strengthens faith. And then it gives you a reason to praise. The habit of praise where He says in verse 6, I will ever praise you. Ever praise you. Now, this habit of praising not only applies to God, but of people as well. I mean, I'm not saying we should flatter people, but I'm saying that when there is a reason to give praise, we should. But some people are, are stingy with praise. You know, it's like no matter how good you do, they will never tell you you've done a good job. Finally, if you ask them, how? How is it? They'll say, not bad. Lah. 
That's about the best they could say. They're <laughs> stingy with praise. <laughs> and maybe that's how they treat God too. All right? So, you know, we must be generous with, with praise because, you know, that is what adds to life. And God wants his, us to be a people of praise even in difficult times. In difficult times, this is what he said. Verse 8, My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long. So it was a habit of praise that he developed from young and he keeps doing it even by this stage of life. You see, God is good and faithful. Even when he allows troubles in our lives and you know, he's still worthy of our praise. And, and we can be honest about it. You know, we don't downplay the negatives of life. We don't ignore, ignore them. We don't deny them. We can be honest about it. In verse 20, he says, Though you have made me see troubles, you know, he is not blaming you know, the devil. He is not blaming his, his bad fortune. He, he says, God, you are, you are sovereign over my life. And there have been times when you have made me see troubles, and, and they are many. And they are bitter. He's not downplaying them. He's acknowledging them. And it's good for us to acknowledge what's really going on in our hearts, our lives. But then don't stop there. He says, you will restore my life again from the depths of the earth. And you will again bring me up. You will increase my honor and comfort me once more. So here is a man who is very realistic. He, con he confronts the realities of life. He expresses these difficulties, but then he doesn't stop there. He continues to say, God, I know you are still there for me. You have seen me through before, and you will see me through again. And he counts his blessings too. Count your blessings and you will praise. Come on, let's say it. I will always trust. Come on. I will always hope. I will always praise. So this enabled him to go through his long life, his personal deep relationship with God, and his habit of always trusting, always hoping, always praising, and lastly, he had also developed a lifestyle of serving God. Now, this is evident from the fact that now towards the end of his life, there was still fire in his bones, and he was still passionate about one thing. You know, he was not saying, you know, yeah, you know, I have been, I've been through, through life, and, you know, now it's time for me to just, you know, uh, hang up my boots and just put on my legs and relax and do whatever I want with the rest of my time. He says in verse 17, Since my youth, God, you have taught me to this day, I declare, to this day I declare your marvelous deeds, even when I'm old and gray. Do not forsake me, my God, till I travel the world, see the seven great wonders, <laughs> uh, fulfill all, uh, all my bucket lists, uh, no, he says, there's one more thing I still want to do. Till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all those who are 
to come as long as he still had breath. This was the one passion that was still keeping him going. Okay? It's not like, oh, it's time for me to just hand over everything to the next generation. You see, when people go through stressful life, you know, especially if you, your work is like six, five days, five full days, let's say, and the weekends, you're, you want to rest, you know, you want to just you know, relax and do what you like. And if I just give two hours and worship with God's people, I fulfill my obligation. I don't want to be tied down by any kind of Christian service obligation so that whenever I feel like doing something, go somewhere, I can, I can just do it. And our world tells us, you know, that's the way to live. Because, you know, this is a stressful world. But as Christians, do, when do we ever earn the right to do what we want to do with our time? All of life must be lived under the Lordship of Christ. Can you say amen? You know, just now we sang the song, you know. Jesus be the center of my life, right? That means all of life must be under his lordship. So where in the Bible do we find that, you know, by a certain uh, number, 60, 65, you know, then now we are free to just do whatever, you know, we feel like doing. And the fact is that many in our society, by the time you reach 60, 65, you know, you may not need to work for gainful employment, but you still have a lot of health and energy, and a lot of experience. And you have so much to give. And I'm so thankful that there are, there are so many seniors in PCC you know, who have already retired from gainful employment who continue to serve in, in different ministries and some several ministries at a time. You know, they usher, they, they serve communion, they serve the children in seats, you know. Uh, they host visitors, they cook in the kitchen, uh, they arrange flowers. They drive the van. Some of them are not supposed to anymore <laughs> because they are, you know, they're up in that years and because the younger people are not driving, so they keep driving. <laughs> okay. uh, they, lead, they, they serve with the worship team. Many of our ministries are multi-generational. They teach in track classes. Huh? Uh, they teach the children in a family care center. You know, we are so encouraged by their faithful service and I want to encourage the others you know, to join in because really, you know, if you live to, 50, uh, to 80, you know, and you retire by 60, 65, you've got a 15, 20 more good years, you know, where you can just continue to contribute to the kingdom of God. You know, my father was saved when he was in his, like, uh, 40s. Say, so, wait, I was, I was six, I was seven, I was 19. And, yeah, I was 19, and he's 24 years older than me, so how old was he? 40s, right? Okay. So, he, he went to church, and, you know, he grew as a Christian, and he began to serve whatever ministry he served in. And then at the age of 80, he had a severe pain on his back. And after, you know, seeing quite a few doctors... He discovered, we discovered that, you know, it was actually cancer of the prostate, which had spread to all his bones, you know. So one half of his uh, lumbar 
uh, vertebra had collapsed, you know, partially. So that's why, you know, it was giving him a lot of pain. So every three, four hours, he would have to lie down and rest. But he prayed. He said, God, would you give me strength to serve you? Would you give me five more years? That was, he was 80, you know. Now he's 87. Right? Then he says, God, give me five more. Okay. Why? Because... I want to serve you. And you know, he, he teaches a Bible study for old people of his age, by the way, in his church. And his class gets smaller and smaller every year. You know why, right? They get promoted. But he's still there. And as long as he still has energy and he can still be up a few hours, you know, he would be there one and a half hours before the service starts. Okay. And then he will stay through and then he will teach the class or if it's on and then, you know, he, he goes back and then he lies down, you know. And his only desire is to just be able to serve the Lord. And, you know, this psalmist expresses this. He says, you know, God, deliver me. Deliver me from my enemies so that I will not just be able to relax and do all the things I like with life, but so that I may declare, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. You see, he wanted to pass the baton on, and he knew because he had experienced God from young, and he had developed the habits of always trusting, hoping, and praising that he had something to pass on. Can you say amen? And he wanted to pass it on. He didn't want to take it to his grave and be wasted. How about you and me? Today, I'm speaking to many people who are there or getting there in the 60s. Huh? Are we developing such a walk? It's never too late. Now, let me just quote you a few people who looked at life from this perspective. Ralph Binder founded the U.S. Center for World Missions. And in his early 80s, he was still traveling around. Of course, he's gone to be with the Lord now. And he was writing for the cause of Christ. And at age 60, he wrote an article entitled, The Retirement Booby Trap. He said, most men don't die of old age. They die of retirement. I read somewhere that half the men retiring in the state of New York die within two years. <laughs> Save your life and you lose it. Just like other drugs, other psychological addictions, retirement is a virulent disease, not a blessing. <laughs> Where in the Bible do they say that? Did Moses retire? Did Paul retire? Peter, John, the mil do military officers retire in the middle of a war? You know, I mean, he, he is very blunt, but, you know, that's how he saw life, you know. And uh, actually, most people today, you know, because of uh, extended uh, medical care, will live until their 70s and 80s and, you know, will enjoy relatively good health, right? So, what are we going to do with those years? What is the psalmist saying to these men and women? Could retirement actually be the world's substitute for heaven? You know, I was just thinking through this, you know, for people who do not know Jesus, right? And they know that to them, it's like when they die, that's it. There's nothing else to look forward to. So for them who work, 
30, 40 years of life, you know, slog until they are 60s. And then they know when they die, there's nothing more. No more joy, no more pleasure, no more, nothing more to look forward to. What, what should you do with the, the last 10, 15, 20 years? Enjoy it. Make the most of it because, really, because after you die, there's nothing more to look forward to. But is that how we should live? Do we believe that there is a place of eternal rest? There is a place where we will get our ultimate reward when we stand before the Lord to hear Him say, well done. Or should we adopt the philosophy of people of this world? Retirement is a time when we just do as we please, you know, enjoy life to the maximum, and then when we stand before Him and say, Jesus, <laughs> here I am. <laughs> and Jesus says, I went all the way to the cross for you. <laughs> And you went round the world for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, of course, there's nothing wrong with, you know, doing what you can do when you are still young. By all means, travel. By all means, go and see your grandchildren when they are young. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's all we do, then I wonder if our philosophy is any different from the people who do not believe there's anything beyond this life. John Piper is such an inspiration, uh, and he was inspired by J. Oswald Sanders, who was a great uh, Christian statesman, you know, serving the Lord until his very old age. And Sanders was speaking at age 89 in a graduation or a chapel service in a, in a university or a Bible college, and at 89, he, he, he said, you know, every year I wrote one book for, for Christ. Since 70, that means you know, he had written about 19 books at that time from age 70, you know, still writing books. And when Piper heard this, uh, heard Sanders, this is something that came out of his heart. You know, he, he prayed, he said, Oh God, don't let me waste my final years. Don't let me buy the American dream of retirement. Month after month of leisure and hobbies, playing around my garage, rearranging the furniture, golfing and fishing, sitting and watching television. Lord, please have mercy on me. Spare me this curse. <laughs> I don't know why you're not laughing. <laughs> because it's very serious. <laughs> you know, here's a man who has seen the culture of his day, the lies that everyone believes in. And he knows what the Bible teaches, and he says, God, I'm not going to live like the people out there. I want to be fully engaged in the work of God until He calls me home. And you and I can have this confidence to do it because Isaiah 46 verse 4 God promised, even to your old age and grey hairs, I am He. You know, by the time this psalmist wrote this, he was in this category. This is relevant. I am He. I am He who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. No wonder. This is his prayer. Verse 18, he says, even when I am old and grey, you know, this is a process of life you can't stop, you know. I mean, 
one part of the hair becomes grey, you know, you can kind of like cover it, you know. Then another part becomes grey. Oh, how to cover, man? There was a time when I was trying to snip off the grey moustache, and then now I can't do because, you know, half of it is grey already, so. <laughs> this is a process you cannot hold back. But there are choices that you can make. Where he says, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Because they are waiting for it. And because only you can give it to them when you come to that stage of your life. Let's pray. Yes. Jesus said, In this world, you will have troubles. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Crisis will come. What are you and I doing to make sure that we will stand firm? And we will stand firm. Before we sing that song again, Faithful God, and declare who He is and what He has done, I want to ask those of us who are listening to these words, how are we, are we living our lives? Are you developing a deep knowledge of God to know who He is through His Word? through fellowship with believers in a cell group, through serving? Are you developing that deep knowledge, experiential knowledge of God? A habit of always trusting, always hoping for the best, seeing the positive, always praising, and a lifestyle of always serving God, passing it on to the next generation. If you're already doing it, I congratulate you. You are an encouragement to other people in the church. Keep it up. Invite others along this journey. But if you are not doing it, it's not too late. And it's not too early either. To say, Lord, I want to have a deeper walk with you. I want to develop the habit of always trusting always hoping, always praising. And I want to invest in giving something to the next generation. If, if that's what you desire, I want to pray for you because that's a good desire. Wherever you're sitting, if that's your desire, you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you lift your hand as a sign? Yes, wherever you are. Yes, quickly, quickly. Yes. Yes. Anyone else? Okay, I'm going to pray and if you raise your hand, even if you didn't raise your hand, but you want to receive this prayer, just put your hand in your heart as we pray right now. Father, thank you for the psalmist who wrote this so honestly and expressing his walk with you and his trust, his hope in you and his desire to invest in the next generation with the remaining years and energy of his life father we ask that you will help each of us here no matter how young we are how old we are to live such a life 
Help us, Lord, to live a life of personal encounter with you, to know who you are, not just theoretically but experientially, to know that you are faithful because we have proven that your promises are true. Help us, Lord, to develop those habits of always trusting, always hoping, and always praising you with our lips and not just with our thoughts and help us to give something to the next generation while we still have energy and time. Father, speak to each of us, Lord, what we can do from this very day and this next week to live such a life so that the day we see your face will be a day of great joy and gladness. Father, we thank you. Do a deep work in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name. Let's stand as...